All right, you got your camera? You got a bag? You ready to go? Jump on in. We're heading down the road. My name's April, and I'm an award-winning landscape photographer and tour guide. I've been leading small group photo tours for over 20 years. For photographers, non-photographers, and anyone else that just likes to go for a great trip. So welcome to my podcast, Eyes for the Road. Today I'm going to, we're going to have a conversation with someone I've known for quite a while. Um, And mainly, he was probably the first person I actually took a photography tour, workshop, whatever you want to call it, with. And I was, I believe I was still using a, a film camera at that time, a slide film camera. And it's a very, it was a very memorable journey to Yosemite National Park in winter. And he's also the author of a few books, but two of my favorites have always been Backroads of Southern California and Backroads of Northern California, which tie in beautifully with um, travel, photography, places to discover. Um, they have maps, they have history, they have everything you'd want to, you know, any little great places and includes all the history. But uh, so we're going to talk to Dave Wyman, and he's with us on the line now. So this will be by phone. So hopefully the audio will be good for everybody. So I'm just going to start and we're just going to have a nice chat. Um, It's been a while since I've caught up with Dave. He's usually out bicycling, photographing, or or a combination of the two. So I'm not even, I kind of wanted to ask, in fact, what came first, the camera or the bicycle? Hi there. Hi, Dave. I'm sorry. Take it away. Good to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, good to talk to you. <laughs> kind of a crazy day. But um, thanks for joining us, Dave, and thanks for taking time. And again, I want to apologize for the late start today. But um, so I don't know if you want to start from there. What came first, bicycling, your love of bicycling or camera photography? Um... I had to go back that far. I'm pretty old, so it's kind of hard <laughs> to remember back. It's a distant past. I believe when I was about six, my grandfather taught me how to ride a bike by shoving me down the sidewalk and letting go of the bike. Yeah. So it started, I'd say, about the same time or maybe a little earlier than photography because I do know that in uh, second grade, my mom gave me a box camera, film camera, uh-huh. And I know that because I still have the photos in a scrapbook. And the pictures are of my elementary school buildings and a bunch of my classmates in second grade and uh, some of the teachers. So I can date that to uh, being about seven when I started with photography and maybe a little bit earlier with, with the bike. I definitely remember doing something that uh, kids don't do much of today. I used to ride my bike to school. And I, I love that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, just being outside. So how do you feel your past kind of shaped your interests, so to speak? Um, You know, they always talk about with wines, kind of the terroir changing a wine. And I think I know personally for me, some of my background as well influenced where I am and what interests me today. That's a good question. I, I think my love of photography does come from my mom. My mom... I would say she was a, a terrific photographer, but she was interested in, in photos and interested in making photos. And she passed that along to me. My dad was, was not particularly interested in photography. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
So my mom wasn't exactly a snap shooter. You know, I think she realized the deeper potential of photography. Um, but uh, she definitely got me started in photography with a camera and, and, uh, and gave me some cameras over time. She kind of upgraded my, my camera system as, as I got older. And um, so she was probably the main reason I, I got into photography. And yeah. uh, my parents also liked to travel. And before they uh, got some money together and went traveling on their own around the world, they took myself and my younger brother on the sort of traditional tour that people, at least on the West Coast, did. And that was to travel to uh, various national parks. You know, so if you're a young person in uh, Europe, you make the grand tour around Europe. But if you live in California and you're a kid, you make the circuit of national parks with your parents. And, and that's what we did yeah. back in the uh, back in the fifties. And I so think that's that so yeah, that's so important and something that I hope people are doing today. You know, you sometimes hear about kids that are that are not going outside, and I think that's a, just a shame. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I spend so much time in front of the computer. Once in a while, I'll walk outside and I'll be hit with this incredible color and three D image, and think, "Wow, <laughs> reality is amazing." Right. <laughs> So that must happen to kids. I'm sure kids are missing out on a lot of the, a lot of reality. Yeah. And you've been leading workshops since, was it 1982, I believe? Somewhere around there. It's hard to remember, but I think late 1982 is the first time I went out and taught people how to make some photographs out in nature. And I've always liked your approach. It's kind of a in the field, be out. We're going to be photographing all day. And you've also... I think you're one of the first, I, I think, to embrace, like, you did a, tr uh, you've done some tours through Yosemite where, you know, it's just cell phone photography and some of that, correct? I have tried things like that. Uh, yeah, I do like all kinds of cameras. I don't have a particular type of camera that I like. Uh, I've got uh, different classes of cameras and I like using them all. Yeah. So your current book is called Fearless. Let me pull it up here again to be sure. Fearless photographer, nature, and you were telling me the image on the cover is is you in Yosemite, correct? Yeah, I'm standing on the edge of Glacier Point with about a three thousand foot drop <laughs> down to Yosemite Valley. I did set the shot up, uh, handed my camera to uh, one of the participants on the workshop, and then I went out and eased myself out in this little tiny piece of granite over Yosemite Valley, and that ended up being the uh, cover shot for the book the photo was made with a compact camera a little point and shoot see i think i think that's a wonderful just a kind of sums up your approach in other words because as i said i always look at all of the different offerings you have i mean you led you know like camping trips the bicycling with a cell phone everything from yosemite to new york city um what are some of your favorite places to take participants? Uh, I've always enjoyed Yosemite, and I think in part because my earliest memories of my life are of being in Yosemite with my parents. And according to them, that was when I was three years old. I'm kind of amazed oh, that wow. I have memories from the age of three, but apparently I do. And I can remember my father holding me in his arms and turning me in a circle in the center of the valley, and I can remember seeing one of the uh, ephemeral spring, summer waterfalls on the south side of the valley, and my dad turning me around to see uh, massive Yosemite Falls. And I remember 
playing with sticks and leaves in a little creek with my mom. So whenever I go to Yosemite, and for me living in LA, it's a six hour drive up there. I never really mind making that drive because there's something almost like feeling like I'm going home. And uh, so I still conduct two or three workshops there a year, a couple for the Yosemite Conservancy, which is the natural history arm of the park, and uh, one or two for myself, my own photo business. Yeah, I loved the winter photography workshop. I think for me as a kind of, I was, I mean, I've always dabbled in photography again as a kid too, but going there in winter to me, I, I don't know why it just really appealed to me. I think because it's like, I just hadn't ever considered all the other seasons, you know, it's so, you know, the waterfalls are so famous and everything. And I love fall, but I hadn't really considered visiting that particular national park in winter. And you really opened my eyes to, you know, the possibilities and just, you know, a different, it's just a whole nother world, you know, in each of its seasons. Yeah. When you live in uh, Southern California, like I guess we do, it's a different world. Yeah. And you almost don't realize in the back of your head there is this other winter world and autumn world that exists in California, not that far away. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of uh, of willing yourself to take a little time to get up there and, and see it and experience it, experience it. So where did the whole idea of the, I guess it's a series of books, The Fearless Photographer, kind of develop and... Well, well, I have to say, I've been blessed by uh, being paid by publishers to write four books, and I, they all fell on my lap. I wasn't oh, looking wow. for any of those books. Uh, you know, a lot of photographers would give their eye teeth, whatever yeah, my would. teeth is, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> be paid to, to write and supply photos for a book. And uh, they each kind of fell on my lap. Uh, I didn't reach out to any publishers. It was the other way around. Okay. Uh, I had been published in, in some magazines and in some books before. I, I got those four uh, books with my name on the cover uh, and the, uh, the fearless photography book, uh, it's the one that came out uh, about a year and a half ago. And it was a five year project. I was sitting at home. I received an email from an acquisitions editor at, uh, Cengage publishing company, which is one of the larger textbook publishing companies in the world. They also publish books for national geographic, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's a, uh, Huge business. And uh, the editor called me up, said he'd seen my work. Uh, I'm not sure where, but he wanted to know if I would write a book for Cengage. And ultimately, he came up with the idea, which was, how about a book on nature photography? And it would be part of the uh, series of fearless photography books for Cengage. So there's a fearless photographer weddings and fearless photographer portraits and uh, fearless photographer nature which is mm-hmm. my book yeah and the chapter titles i'm kind of unfortunately i haven't had a chance to pick it up and delve into it but some of the chapter titles are very interesting to me um like the self-awareness chapter where have you gone and where you are going did you actually then supply that aspect of the book or were <laughs> some of these ideas given to you and then you developed them uh the book was up to me. Oh. Uh, completely up to me. I have to say, I struggled for a long time. You know, the book took five years to complete. Yeah. So part of the problem was, unfortunately, my, my wife became ill and, and did die during the creation of the book. And it, it really slowed me down. Mm-hmm. And I had some trouble for quite a while 
coming up with why my book was worthy of publication. What was I going to offer that was different than other books that are already out there? there you know, there's some classic books by, uh, by Galen Rowell and, um, you know, a lot of other photographers who've just got superb photos and wonderful information to impart. So why would mine be different? So I had to kind of struggle with that until I finally realized that, yeah, people do want to see new ideas and new photos and, and I could provide that. Uh, so it did take quite a while. It took five years from almost to the day from when I got the original message to uh, ask me if I wanted to write a book to when the book was published. And uh, so I did find my own voice eventually. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's a conver- I think if you read the book and look at it, one thing that sets my book apart is it's pretty conversational. Uh, it's not filled with a lot of technical jargon. It's got a lot of basic advice on how to go out and actually see differently. Mm-hmm. See in your own way. Uh, so it's partly inspirational, partly instructional. I've got concrete ideas on what lenses to use and information about different kinds of cameras. But uh, there's also a lot of exhortations to go out there and figure out how to be yourself and uh, come back with images that, that which kind of echo you are. Yeah, which kind of echoes at least you know what I gathered from taking your workshop is you really encouraged everyone to you know here's the classic sort of landscape image but you were always also kind of pointing out other always other options and encouraging and i think that's what you know also like doing the cell phone which i think is a fabulous i i would love that's one of the workshops i think that would be really worthy to to take because i think as a quote someone you know i think often we get hooked into that whole idea of like well, you know, it's not a real photograph unless you really use some real equipment. And, and I, I don't always buy into that. And I gather that you have somewhat some of the same ideas on that. Yeah. Well, I can see what kind of cameras I use if you want to know. For, yeah. yeah, you can go on and delve into that, definitely. Because I know you've yeah. used all types of different cameras through your career. Yeah, well... Uh... I think primarily I've been a nature and travel photographer and going back now for decades, I've conducted photo tours and, and photo workshops. And uh, as I said, I've been published in magazines and got my own books uh, that have been printed. Um, and I'm also interested and have been for some years now in street photography, not so much uh, sneaking candidates of people, but interfacing with people directly to make portraits of them in uh, mm-hmm. urban settings. So I'm not sure there's one camera that you need for any of that. I used to think that I had to have a really fancy camera and I needed a tripod to right. make the sharpest possible image. And uh, being old, you know, I was working with film back then. And um, working with film, the uh, ISO or the sensitivity oh, of yeah. the film, which is would be like today's sensor, wasn't that great. So you needed a tripod if you needed a... Uh, a, uh, you needed know, a slow shutter speed and you wanted lots of depth of field with your photos. But I kind of got away from that over time. Uh, I don't think it's really the camera that makes the difference. It's, you know, we've obviously been saying it's, it's the image itself that's important. Right. More important than, say, technical aspects. Right. And the thing is, I totally shoot for myself, you know, not for anybody else. It doesn't matter whether I'm working alone or with friends or if I'm under, you know, working contractually with a publisher or if uh, some natural history association is contracted with me to, to uh, work uh, with a group of students. Now, I always feel free to use any kind of camera or lens or accessory uh, I want to. 
you know, mm-hmm. it's coming up with the image that I want. Right. So I also think that the photography in large part is, is like life in that it's a compromise. You can't get exactly what you want with a camera. It doesn't mirror reality exactly. You know, that right. might be the curse, but it's also the beauty of it, right? Right, it is. And it can be very frustrating at times. Yeah, but the thing is, I'll shoot with an iPhone. And by the way, in my book, there are photos made with all kinds of cameras, including the cameras I guess I'm going to mention right now. So there are some iPhone photos. Uh, and uh, you know, I like my iPhone because it's really small, fits in my pocket, has a giant screen. Uh, oh, nice. On the minus side, you know, the compromise is it doesn't have a viewfinder where you can seek your eye. So it's hard to see it in bright light. Right. And obviously, the focal length is pretty limited in today's, uh, in today's smartphones. So I like it, but it's limited. Right. And that, those are the compromises. The fact that it's hard to see it sometimes and just don't have much more than a wide angle look at the world. So I also have this collection of compact cameras, or you can call them point and shoots. Yeah. And, you know, these are great travel uh, cameras to travel with because it's kind of like having a collection of special zoom lenses with tiny cameras attached to them, you know, rather than the other way around. Yeah. And so, yeah, and I would say these cameras are all designed, or maybe maybe I would say they're constrained by uh, the size of the sensors that are inside them. You know, it's, it's the sensor size that really dictates the size of the lens. Right. You know, especially if you're working on trying to have a, a camera that fits in your pocket. So I, I've got a few of these things. So, you know, one of them uh, that I have, a little Sony camera, and it has uh, an insane zoom range. So it goes from super wide angle to super telephoto. Oh, nice. Uh, it, can, it can do that because it's got a little tiny sensor. It's a camera, but it's the size of the sensor in a smartphone. So which so, Sony is it, can I ask? This one is called the uh, Sony HX90V. V is in Victor. So it's really small. It easily fits in anybody's pocket. Oh, wow. And it goes from 24 millimeters, the equivalent of with a full-frame camera, uh-huh. up to 750 millimeters. Whoa. <laughs> absolutely mind-blowing camera. The trouble is, with that camera, it, it because the sensor is so small, and, and due to physics, it doesn't do well in low light. You know, low light's really, really great for landscapes and all sorts oh, of things. It is, yeah. So you need a support. You need, like, a tripod and... If you have to carry a tripod, what's the point of carrying a small camera? Right, I was just going to say, it defeats <laughs> the whole, yeah. That's right, it defeats the purpose. So, uh, okay, so, but it's great if you're just taking general photos outside. You can connect with awesome photos. You know, there's other ways to to support the camera. Like I carry a little tiny hacky sack that I use as sort of a beanbag support. Oh, nice. You know, yeah. I'll push the camera against a tree trunk or something or find something to stick it on and use the self-timer. So there are ways around it, but... It's a compromise, you know, but you have to be fearless, I guess, so to speak, in uh, coming up with ways to get the picture you to, want, no matter right, what the camera. to use it. Yeah. So I have another little point and shoot. It also fits in my pocket. And the attraction is it has a larger sensor. Mm. So it's a, a little larger than that little dinky camera. But the trade-off, the compromise is it doesn't have the same zoom range. It's, it's shorter. You know, it's pretty good at the wide end but it doesn't go out to 750 millimeters. Oh, but wow. because it's got a bigger sensor, it works better in low light. So is that a, a Sony also, or which one is that? That one is a Panasonic uh, ZS-100. Uh, okay. So you can get, both of those cameras are, are still current, I believe. So I have one more camera, and it's got a micro four-thirds sensor, so it's, it's bigger. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, to make it small, to make it fit at least in a jacket pocket or a cargo pants pocket, uh, the lens isn't that big. Because to fit on a micro four-third sensor, the lens would have to be a lot larger to get a zoom lens on it of any, any size, you know, at the long right. So it's got this super wide uh, F1.8 lens at the wide end. It's great, but it's got a short zoom and it goes out to about 75 millimeter equivalent to a oh. full-frame camera. But that one might awesome be, camera. yeah, that would still be yeah. awesome for some of your portraits and streets. Yeah, wait for that. And it's it's the Panasonic LX100. Panasonic and it's been out for LX100, yeah. okay. come out with a new version soon, but uh, it's, it's been a durable camera. And, and to be honest, I'm at the point where I don't really feel the need to rush out and buy a new camera you know, every time they come out with one. So my, my larger cameras, which include a uh, Sony mirrorless camera and a big Nikon full-frame camera. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're pretty old now. You know, there are ones at least five or six years old and the others at least three years old. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel the need for all the latest technological gadgets because, right. again, for me, it's the image and I feel confident that I can come back with a compelling picture uh, no matter, you know, what camera exactly. I'm carrying. Yeah. And the newer cameras, so, too, they have so many menu sometimes you get overwhelmed (laughs) instead of just getting your image you get hung up in trying to figure out just what button to push (laughs) and that's not a good thing yeah well there's some amazing features even on my little dinky cameras like the little sony has a feature where you can set it at super high iso and i mentioned before that you can't really shoot in dim light Mm -hmm. because if you use a high iso you end up with a lot of digital noise it's just the physics of a small sensor so the little sony will let you fire off about five shots at a super high iso oh wow and then it compares the five pictures puts them together into one shot and then um uh it uh removes the noise the digital noise it knows where the noise is and it takes out the noise Oh my goodness! It'll That's even, it's, it's, amazing. It's, it's incredible. So you can shoot at a high shutter speed too, because you're shooting at you know 125,000 ISO on this camera. It really doesn't do well over ISO 80 under normal conditions, wow. and yet you can shoot incredibly fast. And it's smart enough to actually erase portions of the picture it knows shouldn't be there. So if somebody's moving, right, it knows to cut off the person that's in the wrong part of the picture. Oh my goodness! Uh, I don't wow. know how it knows that, but it does. Yeah, yeah, amazing. That's that's yeah. actually really. I mean, it sounds like fun to you know. You don't even realize there's all these little different quirks with all of well, not quirks as such, but features. Like each camera kind of has its special feature that some of the others may or may not have. That's exactly right. Whether it's f stops or shutter speed or these you know amazing features that they've got built into them. Right. They've all got something that's going to appeal to some aspect of, of photography. Yeah. And the other thing is, these little cameras, as well as these larger cameras, you can make pictures as large as billboards with these cameras. Wow. Now, they're not going to be as sharp as using a, a full-on digital single-lens reflex or mm-hmm. a medium-format camera. But uh, you're not going to really compare prints that are made from two different cameras next to each other. So, in the real world, it doesn't matter. You can take... Uh, an iPhone, and if you travel around a major city in the U.S., you're going to see billboards where, with uh, iPhone pictures on them. Yeah, I've been uh, seeing that you know, a little bit, and it's amazing. Yeah. So you're not going to stand up next to a 40-by-60-inch uh, print, you know, from three inches away and no. and uh, check out the grain structure or the uh, 
digital noise. Now you're going to stand back the appropriate distance. And all these cameras can really make gigantic pictures. Wow. So, and I, I think in the history of photography, you know, it's really kind of changed. It started out where they had great big negatives, eight by 10 negatives or larger, and they'd make a big print out of it. And, and they needed a large size back, right. back then because they didn't have the resolution with the great lenses we have now. And people started figuring out, well, maybe we don't need to have an eight by 10 negative. You know, we can, we can go to medium format photography. And then somebody figured out, you know, they got these 35 millimeter cameras and they're great. Yeah. They make really cool pictures. And again, it was the idea that it was the picture, not so much that right. how good it looked, you know. Right. And now, okay. you know, these little cameras have, have sensors that are just fractions of, uh, you know, the size of a 35 millimeter slide film or negative. Uh, it's incredible. So we've kind of gone way, way, and made a big change in how we are willing to look at pictures and accept pictures. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Instagram. Oh, I love Instagram, actually. Yeah. I'm really hooked on it because you can, yeah. you just see it, so I think many it's a whole different way of looking at the world. You know, people are pushing the limits now. They're experimenting with super saturated colors, with HDR. They're coming into all kinds of crazy viewpoints. Uh, there's also a lot of boring selfies. Right, uh, that comes with the game, but the whole shift in thinking that you have to have a large picture to be artistic or to have special merit is out the window now. Yeah, I I think so too. I think it's really and it's opened up to a lot of people to their own creativity when they can, when they you know, like you said, they can upload it instantly to Instagram and do their own little, you know, change the colors or the green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredible. You know, there are two big drawbacks, one each for the, the kinds of cameras that people shoot with. So if you have a, you know, a small camera, mm-hmm. whether it's your iPhone or a uh, compact camera, you know, those cameras, they don't put anything out of focus. Everything is in focus with uh, a small camera. And with big cameras like a DSLR, it's hard to get everything in focus especially at the long end of... Uh, yeah, it end. actually is. You're right. Because right. you can pick up your so, cell phone and it's fairly easy to focus everything and be done. But Yeah. yeah. Interestingly, uh, Apple figured out how to put two lenses on, a, on their, their iPhone and uh, meld the images and come up with an out-of-focus background for portraits. But in general, it's not that easy to get out-of-focus with uh, small cameras. Right. So, you know... That could be good. It could be bad, depending on what you want. But, the, you know, the reverse is with these bigger cameras, like a digital single-lens reflex or the, these terrific mirrorless cameras. You can't, you can't keep things in focus. But, right. you know, that can be a curse or it can be something wonderfully significant to make your yeah. subject <laughs> pop out of the picture. But, again, you know, it's a compromise, and you just have to be, you know, again, fearless. Only you go where the camera takes you. And right. Work with what you see is either a limitation or a plus to, uh, to what you've got in your hand. Right. So what do you feel has um, changed as far as leading your workshops and tours? I know what I loved when I um, took your workshop is there was just like a wide range of ages. I think we had someone on our group that was she was in her 80s and, you know, just as eager to get out there, just as fearless to, you know, keep up with the group and take as many photos. And, And then we had some, you know, some younger people, too. Do you still see that? nice range of ages attracted to going out with a guide as such to photograph? Or you think, you know, now that everyone has the accessibility of 
you know, the camera right in their hand, their cell phone, that they're kind of going, just going out on their own more, so to speak. No, I, I don't think that's it. I think one of the things that determines whether or not you sign up for a photo workshop is A, your, your interest level and in learning more, and B, your income. So mm-hmm. when it comes to income, you need some discretionary income to spend money on taking a workshop and staying in a uh, motel somewhere. Yeah, that's you know, true. dining out maybe part of the time. And and older people tend to have discretionary income. Right. I have to say, once since I've done this for so long, once digital got going, it really brought in a lot of young people. Oh, uh, good. Relatively speaking, young people, because the younger mind is more interested, I think, in learning new concepts. That's not entirely true. Obviously, every old person today is interested in digital photography, but uh, digital photography can appeal to any age. The technical parts of photography mm-hmm. drive a lot of interest in it. Whether the you know you're interested in coming back with snapshots or something more artistic, so I'm going to say that it's still kind of top heavy on the the older side, right, uh, of age brackets. But it's still there are plenty of younger people that enjoy the doctor and are willing to take workshops and and uh, rely on an old mentor like me <laughs> or one of my co-leaders. Yeah. Yeah. You have some good workshops, though. You you still have some openings coming up in your fall workshops? I do. Uh, yeah, I've got, uh, let's see, a, a trip to Yosemite that's going to be back-to-back with a trip to the east side of the Sierra Nevadas for fall color, for the ghost town of Bodie, for uh, Mono Lake, uh, for uh, giant landscapes. Mm-hmm. So we've got some space on that one. And uh, I haven't posted it yet, but uh, I'm going to work with a photographer who I actually went to college with. Uh, we're going to put on a workshop in the uh, Sacramento Valley, the northern reaches of the Great Central Valley of California, and photograph old farm buildings and oh, silos wow. and birds and rice, rice harvesting. And we'll get the weathered faces of farmers and uh, oh, nice. Mount Shasta, that sort of thing. So it's going to be new. Yeah, something new beat. and a little off the beaten path. I like that. Yeah, yeah. What time of year are you going to fit that in? That's going to be in early November. Okay. So, um, yeah, I am somewhat pretty much retired from photo workshops. The way I do it now is uh, I run a lot of trips in L.A., and I tend to take just friends along, mm-hmm. other photographers. Right. Um, you can still hire me, but generally I just ask for a tip these days if you want to spend a half a day with me out. And you can pay me what you want right. in the business model. <laughs> but um, I still have um, three or four or five photo workshops, uh, traditional photo workshops I conduct a year. Yeah, well, yeah. I think the Yosemite workshops that you do are phenomenal and being able to oh, work at the park. And like I said, just thinking out of the box, the bicycle ones that you used to do with the cell phones and, you know, really pushing yeah. people to yeah. be open to, again, using whatever camera you've got in hand. Do yeah, you think, you know, for me, go the ahead. real reason for making photographs is for me, it's the connection I make with something bigger than myself. And I think most people, not everybody, but we're, we're after connecting with the larger reality around us. You know, we're all on a, uh, a journey, you know, it's our life's journey. Mm-hmm. And one way to make sense of it for people is with photography. You know, we've got uh, uh, sculpture and painting and some people find meaning in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Right. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but, you know, but one way to do it, which can be a strict representation of reality or something deeper is, is with photography. And I think we have this sort of tension in our lives between wanting to be an individual 
right. but also wanting to be part of the whole. And, and it is a paradox. You know, we are separate from all of reality around us, and yet we're part of it at the same time. Yeah. So, um, I think that's what we really try to plug in when we're really, I don't want to say serious exactly about photography because that makes it sound like work. Uh, photography is, is enjoyable. It's fun. Uh, I agree. I think that's what the beauty of it is, is that I, I, and that's why I try to likewise encourage anyone to pick up the camera because it's a great way to, you know, be creative. You can always, and it's something you can take with you all your life, you know, you might physically not be able to get out, but I see, you know, older people, again, it's something they can take in their backyard or do photography in their home. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's fabulous. There's, there's several pictures in my book that I made uh, right around my house, actually Uh, nature pictures. So yeah, you don't have to travel very far to come back with images that are compelling. Mm -hmm. that have meaning, you know, for us as, as humans. Yes. Um, So, I think that's the goal, really, of photographers who want to go beyond snapshots is to plug into that larger reality and uh, bring us ourselves into our photographs. Right. Or share places that, you know, other people may have not gone or or seen. I think just like your Route 66 workshop, I think it's kind of an area that's kind of died. I, I, I still see a lot of Europeans, you know, have an eagerness to come do route 66 but i think a lot of people it's kind of well just driving it, it's kind of getting more run down each time i <laughs> i travel <laughs> it. yeah i call that workshop the art of photographing nothing because it's a collection of falling down buildings and very weathered faces of the, the desert rats uh-huh. uh, it's a whole different experience in photographing beautiful mountains and lakes and urban scenes yeah yeah, it's, it is. Uh, it's the wasted, in the, the kind of the end of the industrial age out there. Yeah. And that's what you're really bringing back. Right. So, um, so where do you yeah. see your, your journey taking you next as far as your photography? More books? More? It, it's hard for me to think of uh, getting a fifth book that would just fall into my lap. So mm-hmm. I, I have an idea I've slowly been working on. And uh, the tentative title is uh, More Than Surface Deep. How to find and photograph reflections and shadows. Ooh, um, nice. And some people call me Mr. Reflection because I, re- I really have come up with a lot of uh, different ways of seeing reflections. They're all around us. So they're in, in uh, mirrors and ponds and uh, sunglasses and, and windows and uh, cars and buildings. And I've even made reflections in eyeballs. Oh. Uh, if you know how to do it, yeah, you can actually oh, make wow. amazing reflections in somebody's eye. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And, and when I thought about it, and I have thought about this, and I wrote about it in this last book on uh, photography, um, who are we as, as human beings? You know, I sort of think we are reflections of other people. We're not just individuals. Mm-hmm. We are made up of people we come in contact with throughout our lives. And I'm referring to our family, you know, kids and our teachers, for example. Right. Yeah. Uh, our friends, our relatives, we're even influenced by strangers. Right. Uh, we're influenced by people that we that we fall in love with, frankly. And uh, sometimes uh, those people love us back. Sometimes they don't. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, some of us have uh, you know muses or a muse, and uh, I don't think I've been immune from that myself. Um, 
amused as somebody who kind of commands us to strive to express ourselves. Right. So I think we're the, the sum of, of all these people we've come in contact with. We really are reflections of everybody else. I think that's, that's really who we are. We're individuals, and yet we're also made up of everybody else who's had an influence over us. And you know, I, you know, I, when I select a subject, it's not just me. I've had people in my life who helped me pick a subject, who helped me compose the picture, and they're all there when I press the shutters. Uh, so that's kind of my take on, on reflections, both the kind you, you see out there in the real world. Mm-hmm. And the, the, but that uh, is, that's so true when you think about it. It's so true. And I, I've talked to a lot of different photographers and um, people fascinate me. I'm not as always as fearless as such as getting their portraits as, as, and I admire you and other photographers that are, you're able to make that connection and get the photo as well. But, you know, I do try to open up and I'm always interested in chatting with people and the camera often helps facilitate that. Someone sees you photographing or admiring the, you know, with it's the outside of their building and often that opens so many doors and it just changes you. I mean, it changes your whole experience. Right. Well, I think you should come over the hill from where you live to my side of town one day. I do. I need to. A couple of my friends, and we'll go we'll photograph some people around uh, somewhere in LA. Yeah, I definitely should just take a city <laughs> tour because there are there's so many fascinating people and capturing them or not. I guess capturing might be a a poor word. <laughs> Feels like you're stealing their soul. And I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not wanting to do that as such, but no. So, well, they, you know, in a way, you become them, right? I mean, uh, you are, again, it's a kind of a reflection of who they are. You're entering into their world and, and they into yours. Right. So, uh, capture might be a little strong, but uh, it, in a way, it's apropos. But it's a two-way street, I think. Right, right. Um, Have you, when you've gone on some of your, like, journeys um, to, say, you know, Route 66 areas that you've, if you let you if you led more than one photo workshop there taking people to photograph have you come across you know revisited people that you've say seen the first time and you know then you see them a year later and kind of reconnect or not often that is exactly what i do oh <laughs> I, wow. in fact i try to bring pictures back with me or mail pictures to people or email them mm-hmm. uh, it's hard to do that <laughs> you promise yes. you'll do that and most people never do it but uh there are people that I've made friends with in certain areas over the years and I will bring back a print or send them a print, a real print. Right. Yeah. And, uh, it really greases the wheels. You've got friends for life when you do that. People really appreciate you took the time and trouble to, I'll use the word capture, capture who they are and give that back to them uh, in the form of a print. I have a new method. I have a couple of, uh, mini printers. They're business-sized card printers. Oh, nice. And so I'll be talking to someone. I'll make the photo. I'll print the photo out. Maybe they're not even aware of it, and I'll hand them a print of themselves. Thank you. Just a few minutes after we've met. And, uh, and actually, I, I thought about this for a long time before these mini printers came out. What if they had come up with uh, digital photography before analog photography? What if they had only digital photography before they came uh, up with actual real prints? Right. And so it comes full circle because most people don't come in contact with prints. I mean, they might see billboards and all. You might have a picture of your mom on the mantelpiece. But 
most people just don't see prints much anymore. No, they don't. So to hand somebody a print, even a tiny business card size print of themselves, the effect is sort of mind blowing because they're it holding is. themselves as an actual thing in the palm of their hand. Right. And it's so, now an object that they right. can keep looking looking at or just yeah. 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 I have to say too that um a lot of people, particularly young people that I'll meet uh, in, say, downtown Los Angeles somewhere. It could be anywhere. Mm-hmm. People today, young people, are really used to being photographed by their friends, making selfies. And so years ago, not not so long ago, if you wanted to meet somebody and make a photo, very often they froze up and they just had a sort of stiff uh, yes. position. Right. And I would say in the last year or so, I've noticed that when I meet new people, whether I'm by myself or with uh, fellow photographers, that uh, younger people are incredibly relaxed in front of the camera. <laughs> yes, and it, they it are. It took a little while to figure out. I mean, I've said things like, what, do you model? No. <laughs> but uh, I, my friends like to photograph me. So today's younger group of people are really loose when it comes to photography. They're very relaxed. Yeah, and I that's think that's Because yeah, it gives it a truer picture. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's but true. But they're still super impressed when they hang and hand them a print. Oh, <laughs> so, I bet. Yeah, I bet. Because there aren't, there are not as many, you know, people that actually print their photos, I don't think. you know. No, it's it's Instagram, it's Facebook, it's, uh, yeah, definitely online on the computer. Uh-huh. Very few prints. Right. Yeah. yeah. So what kind of printer did you get, can I ask, that you're this, that small? Well, um, I have a couple different kinds because it's been gifted with a few. One of them is made by Polaroid. Oh, nice. It's very small. Um, the other one is made by Fuji. Yeah, it's a little bit bigger. They've got all kinds on it. Yeah, kinds I've of, seen um, a few more popping back up again. Yeah, and in fact, you can get cameras that have the film built into the camera, and it comes out uh, the camera directly. You don't need a printer. The nice thing about using these separate mini printers is you can transfer the image from um, your camera uh, uh, with these new cameras wirelessly into your phone. You can use software to manipulate the photo any way you want, edit it, and then print it out of your your camera. You're sort of stuck if you're using a Polaroid-type camera with what you can do with minimal controls in those little cameras. Right. uh, I've got full-on, you know, Lightroom at my disposal or whatever else on my my phone, my smartphone, and then I can print out the shot. And uh, I've done it enough that I'm pretty fast, so I can have an uh, edited photo in just a couple of minutes print out for somebody. Oh, that's um, great. So they both are great. Uh, the, the Fuji one has a slightly different format. They're both business card size, but the old Polaroid cameras had kind of a white edge around the Yeah, Polaroid. they had the little border kind of thing. Yeah, and so they've sort of duplicated that with the Fuji version. Hmm. And then the bottom of the photo, the long end, has a little white extra tab on it that kind of recapitulates the, the look from long ago. Right. Um, whereas the other one is more of a straight business card approach. It's just uh, whatever the size is. That's they're really great. tiny, but they're That's awesome. really great, though. So I have another question. Um, a lot of times photographers ask, you know, is it better to know your camera or is it better to, quote, develop your eye? And I know we've kind of been covering this a bit throughout the afternoon and are chattering, but... Well, well, I, I think it's more important to develop your eye, but I don't think you can do it unless you actually do have technical control of your camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, 
first comes, I think, technical control, because that, that gives you the ability to be as creative as you want later. I have certainly met some novice photographers who don't know that much about the camera that come that make some incredible images right, right away. They just they have the eye. Right. And they're somewhat limited, though, because they don't have mastery of the technical aspects of the camera or yeah. knowledge of how the camera sees. Right. Uh, how they could change the way it sees. So I think what you need to do is learn how to use your camera. Maybe not learn every aspect of it because they're so complicated, as you pointed out. Start with, uh, you know, the basics, and if you want to, work your way up from there. Mm-hmm. And eventually, that'll become second nature. Now, I've discovered, for example, that I know what I'm going to see in my viewfinder with an interchangeable uh, digital single lens reflex uh, before I put the lens on, I know how wide it's going to be, the wide end, and what it's going to look like at the long end. Whether I'm using a wide angle lens or a telephoto zoom, I've done it so many times that in advance, I know what I'm going to see in the viewfinder. Right. It doesn't matter what format. It could be a, a cropped sensor camera. Right. It could be a full frame camera. And then it could be these little uh, all in one compact cameras with their little zooms. Mm-hmm. I've done it enough times that I can actually see in advance what the camera's going to see. It's really kind of interesting because it's not a conscious effort. It just comes from experience and, and being willing to make enough photos to, to do that. Uh, having different cameras, you got to be careful because they've all got slightly different menu systems, for example, even uh, the same make. Oh, yeah. So exactly. if it's a big trip, I will practice in advance with a particular camera so I don't have to think about it and get confused, you know, switching back and forth. And so the other part is once you've got that down and you don't have to think about that, then you're free to be creative. Right. And, of course, you can't teach someone exactly how to be creative. You can give ideas, exercises. But if you tell someone how to take the photo, it's not their photo. No. So uh-uh. For me, my idea of serving as a mentor or a teacher is to, to give people some tools to think creatively. Uh, for example, my book has a lot of sort of offbeat photos of ways I've come up with, with uh, images that are a little different than most people would. But that's just to spur your, your creative uh, uh, self onward. Right. And uh, just to give inspiration to people. Right. So who's so around? You need both. You need, you, need to, you need to know how to operate your camera. Yes. It has to be second nature. And then once you get into the aesthetic, artistic side of it, more you make photos and, and work on coming up with artistic photos, the easier it is to see an artistic photo or to compose an artistic photo. It works just the same way as it does with the technical aspects. You begin to unconsciously appropriate the ideas you've consciously worked on with your mm-hmm. unconscious mind. And, uh, and after a while, you, know, you want to be unique, right? That's sort of the idea. Yes. Yeah. But you want to be somewhat unique. I mean, that's why... When we're in casual outfits, we don't tend to dress exactly the same way, although you do want to be fashionable with your friends, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Basketball shoes or whatever. Uh, And it's, you know, it's kind of the same with photography. You want to come up with a cool picture of the Eiffel Tower or the Deer Yosemite, but you don't want the same picture everybody else has. You want to spin on it. And uh, so eventually, I think that starts kind of bubbling up like an artesian well from your unconscious self you know you've got your dream world your your Mm -hmm. subconscious world and you start tapping into that when you keep making photos 
And at first you have to studiously come up with creative ideas, which is hard to do, but eventually that too becomes second nature. And that's when you really plug into the greater reality when you're, when you're really connected with uh, both who you are and what your subject is. Mm-hmm. When you've spent time working on both these aspects. So I don't think you can have one without the other. You have to be technically proficient with your camera. And you also want to be, uh, at the same time, you want to be um, very proficient with your creative side. Yes. Right. And developing it and kind of honing it and kind of the whole idea of kind of taking time to feed that side of your, of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So who do you feel for some of that's your... That's my approach. It's that uh, your the approach? reality of yeah. uh, the technical aspects as well as uh, the, uh, the creative aspects. It's photography. Yeah. So in your past photography or even currently, who do you, who have you kind of seen that's given you inspiration? Are they other photographers? Are they uh, writers, painters? Well, you know, I'm going to say it's the, I have a number of friends on uh, Facebook and Instagram, mm-hmm. who some of whom are professionals. I'm thinking, for example, DeWitt Jones is a fantastic nature photographer, and uh, Geraint Smith is a fabulous photographer out of uh, New Mexico. What's the name? People that I've never met, I know some of their names, you know, they all have, have, have handles, screen names. I don't necessarily know who they are but they're phenomenal. And so I've got a little, uh, you know, catalog of the photographers I go back to over and over again on Instagram and Facebook and Flickr. Yeah. Um, oh, that yeah. I look at it. And they're not necessarily professional photographers. Uh, just the, it's now so, uh, the photography field is so open to everybody. And so mm-hmm. many people now can, can become really great photographers with the wonderful tools we have and with the application of, you know, their self-awareness. But I don't think we have to look just professionals anymore. Uh, there's just an infinite number of fantastic photographers out there. So I can't oh. say we have a favorite. Uh, you know, I've got my favorites of the past. I mentioned uh, Gail and Raul. Gail and Raul was a fantastic adventure travel photographer. And uh, for me, he's, he's still sort of my number one photographer that I enjoy. Did you ever, books and, yeah, did you ever get a chance to meet him then? Or I did. I did. Oh, I took wow. a workshop with him and I uh, attended several of his slideshows over the years before oh his unfortunate, God. untimely death in a plane crash some years ago. But uh, yeah, it was great. <laughs> in fact, my first photo workshop I attended was with Galen Rowell and it was his first photo workshop he'd conducted. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, it was kind of kind of cool. That is he, cool. Um, he had some other photographers working with him. It was out of uh, Bishop, California. Mm-hmm. And it being the first time that uh, he put on a workshop with these other fellows, they made some mistakes, I thought. And uh, I took that because I'd come up with this idea of conducting my own photo workshops. And I wanted to see how the, the pros did it. Right. So I was convinced I was going to put on an error-free workshop. I would <laughs> figure out what they did wrong. And uh, get rid of that and have this great workshop. So my first workshop, my first official workshop, was to Death Valley National Park in Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Now, desert, they don't get any rain there, but there was a terrific rainstorm to pass through. Oh, my uh, gosh. That morning and completely washed away my plans. And uh, I realized the best plans of mice and humans, uh, you know, can often go awry. And taught me a valuable lesson. 
that uh, you have to be able to, uh, you know, change what you're doing on the spot. And I had maybe a little bit more sympathy for what uh, Jim Morrell and uh, Gordon Wilsey and Lito Dehada Flores are all fantastic photographers. What they had to contend with on their, their very first photo workshop. And, you know, putting on a photo workshop, because I, I do it for my, my own company uh, sometimes, you know, I'm in charge of the uh, hotel reservations or the plane flight sometimes, getting the van. Right. And uh, I did a trip last September to New Mexico, Taos, and San Jose. And uh, <laughs> even though I double-checked on my reservations, uh, we had our reservations canceled on it <gasps> accidentally. Oh, no. <laughs> San Jose. Oh my you know, gosh. And uh, luckily I called up the day out to, you know, triple check on right. the reservations and, and uh, I didn't panic. That's the thing. I've done it for so long that I think right. early on I might've screamed in my own room or something. Yeah, or exactly. Cursed out loud in front of people. But uh, I've discovered that staying calm can usually get you through. Right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I've had all sorts of crazy things happen over the years, but uh that would yeah, probably be a book in itself, you know, Adventures of a... <laughs> I know. I thought about when I'd done it for 20 years, I was thinking of a book and calling it 20 Years Before the Mast, like two years, this is two years before the mast by Richard Dana about uh, being on a sailing ship. Uh, yeah, right. And I thought mine would be 20 Years Before the Mast, M-A-S-S-E-D. Yeah. But uh, I'm out there at 35 years now or so. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Kind of good stories, but uh, that'll have to wait for another time. Another yeah, book. I mean, yeah, just all the adventures, all the different people, all the little trials and tribulations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a guide for <laughs> for other because I, I mean, there are so many people leading wonderful tours and workshops. But as I was saying, there's just I mean, the world is full of amazing places. So I don't think yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone should ever worry that, you know, you know, there's too many because there's just so many amazing people leading different workshops that have different yeah. ways of teaching and different things to offer as well. So yeah. And you know, you can say to yourself, well, why am I paying someone else to do this? Can't I just go on the line and look at pictures or whatever? But you know, I, I sort of think along the lines of how does conducting a photo workshop compare to, say, selling real estate courses to people? Like, I'll listen to a radio advertisement and they'll say, I made $4 million in six months mm -hmm. with my exclusive ideas for how to sell real estate and you don't need any money down. Right. <laughs> well, I'm myself, well, why are you selling that course instead of going out and making another $4 million? Right. Because that system probably doesn't work. Right. You know? I think most photo workshop leaders probably do not make a fortune at it. Uh, and you really are imparting some knowledge that people can use effectively. It isn't yeah. to go out and make money. <laughs> it's, it's how to go out and plug into that greater reality we were talking about earlier. Right. So, uh, Maybe that's the difference. I don't want to say it's a purer way of, of doing something, but it's it's a different way than than selling real estate classes on online. Oh, I agree. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think any, I don't think many. I don't think there's probably some photographers making some big bucks leading the tours and workshops, but I truly believe it's their passion. You know, they're doing it for the sheer passion of sharing places they love and sharing you know, encouraging others to find the gift of yeah. photography. Cause I truly feel, you know, getting the camera, having the camera can be a gift. It really can open how you see the world. And well, I'll tell you how I actually got into conducting photo workshops. I was working at the university of Southern California, even though I went to UCLA 
I was conducting, I was the adventure travel coordinator. Oh, were you? And I won't go into how I got that job, but I took student staff and faculty and uh, local organizations, schools and church groups and whatever, synagogues, out on camping trips and rock climbing trips and canoeing trips and car camping trips. But in the meantime, I, I got married and my wife was pregnant with our first child. And she'd been going on a lot of these trips with me. And I thought, well, she's not going to be able to go. She's going to have to stay home while I go out and have fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she can't go backpack. We can't take our you know, infant daughter backpack. And I started thinking about how, what kind of trip could I do that would be easier. And I wouldn't. Trip I came up with was uh, family camping trips, and I made kind of a career after I left USC out of conducting family trips. Mm-hmm. But one day, a brochure came across my desk, and usually I got brochures about travel somewhere. Right. And this one was the photo workshop with Gail Rowell. And oh. uh, it was the Bishop Mountaineering School in California in the Sierras that said, well, we've got all these great climbing classes, but we've also got these great photographers who will teach you how to take photos in nature, oh my in the mountains. God. And I thought, wow, not only do I want to meet Gail Rowell, right. my culture hero, <laughs> but yeah. I can learn how to put on photo workshops. And then my wife can come along and bring our baby. And, you know, we're going to get out of the car and walk. Yeah. It's just not going to be stressful. So that's really what got me into photo workshops was uh, getting married and getting married. <laughs> having a baby. And it all kind of took off from there. <laughs> so, and it all worked out. So <laughs> It all worked out. I left USC and kept the, the family camping business going and had this whole separate side deal with uh, photo workshops. Oh, my that gosh. That was 1982. So a uh, long time. So are there places still... On that you'd like to explore and photograph that you haven't explored? I've never been to the Palouse, which is in northern Oregon and southern Washington. It's a very area of vast wheat fields. Yeah. And uh, old barns and things. And I've seen the photos. I've got lots of friends who've gone there and said, Dave, you've got to go. Right. I would love to go to the Palouse. Uh, there's a few places in the Southwest I like to go where I can't take a, a regular group either because of size limitations or distance. One of them is the, the famous wave in, in uh, Utah, geological formation. Uh, so there are some places, yeah, that I have not been mm-hmm. that I like to go. Uh, yeah. I had a lot of international travel. I went to uh, Europe with my brother on a great uh, bike ride in, in various parts of Italy. I'd love to go back to Italy and go explore France with a bike. And with a, a bike, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's hard to combine photography and cycling if you're really into both. You don't really want to stop. You don't want to stop and get off the bike and take photos. And if you're making photos, you don't want to stop and get on the bike. <laughs> but nonetheless, it, for me, it's fun to, uh, to take my time and work on both of those. Yeah, I was just going to ask if you can do, it's kind of hard to do both. I mean, but. Yeah. 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 Well, you've got the helmet on and the silky shorts and the jersey. Uh, sometimes you, you don't feel like getting off and making a photo. Well, which is one reason I love these little tiny cameras. They slip into a uh, jersey pocket. Oh, that's true. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I really like juxtaposing near and far. So with these little cameras and these long lenses, you can photograph, say, cyclists that are maybe 300 yards away. And even with a telephoto lens, they're still pretty small because humans are dinky. So it doesn't take very far for them to get away from you before they're, they're tiny, even with right, a telephoto just, on. Yeah. But a mountain's already huge. You know, you can't shrink a mountain down by, no. by stepping back uh-uh. 50 yards. So what you get are little tiny people in giant mountains. And that's that's what I like to do with 
with these little pocket cameras that you can't do with a, a smartphone. Right. You can really play around with near and far and do it with a little tiny pocket camera. And that was really only available you know, in the last several years for these miniaturized these cameras and come up with these awesome lenses. I know. It's just, there's new stuff. There's new items coming out all the time. It's It's kind of mind-boggling in a way it's yeah yeah you know i saw but, uh, something like you know well you've got the gopro cameras you've got i saw something like that's a little ball that you can toss in the air i mean it's just that it's just yeah, gone it's just gone wild with the cameras actually polaroid has a tiny cubicle about the size of a of a, of a dice or a oh, dice really? <laughs> oh. i mean i've gone riding with people and they push a button and then they turn the camera backwards, this little tiny cube, and they come back with some phenomenal photos oh on the bike. Gosh. Oh my gosh. Forget wow. the iPhone, forget the compact camera. You just take this little tiny cube in their fingers and uh, get some great shots. Right. It's absolutely astounding. Oh, that is. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what I was thinking. You'll have to strap your little camera to your handlebar or something. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm not good at it. I'm my brother, who's also interested in photography and uh, a super bike rider. He is uh, extremely good at making smartphone shots while he's riding a bike. Oh, my God. I'm always afraid I'm going to drop the camera when I hit a bump or something. But uh, he's become a pro at uh, making short videos and uh, still shots from the saddle. And uh, I'm I'm more careful than he is. Yeah. I'm more along the lines of stop, (laughs) get off the bike, make the picture, jump back on, hurry up and catch up with everybody else. Yeah, (laughs) catch up and everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I think we've covered what's in your bag, pretty much. You told me about the cameras. Um, Do you have any favorite lenses with the larger cameras that you like to use? Well, I can tell you that I'm going to go see the uh, total eclipse of the sun that's coming in about a month, uh, less than a month. And I'll be in Jackson, Jackson and Jackson Hole, Wyoming to see it. Oh, fabulous. uh, I'll see what lens I'm taking. I'm taking... um, a fairly compact 400 millimeter lens, just <laughs> 400 millimeter, with a uh, with a tele extender, so 1.7 tele extender. Oh wow! So the the lens and the camera for the uh, the occasion. Sometimes, not always. Mm-hmm. I also plan to take a lot of wide angle shots of people staring at the at the. Uh, oh yeah. Pictures of the Tetons with some unusual side light as this eclipse takes place. Uh huh. I've got some special filters to slip over some of my lenses for shooting the sun directly when it's not quite in uh, totality. But uh, what I really like to do, what I mostly shoot with is wide angle lenses and long lenses. And mm-hmm. I actually will not even take standard lenses with me. You know, it's like I only want a, a 20 millimeter lens or a 24 millimeter lens. And I want uh, a 105 macro or a 70 to 300, but I really don't need anything past 20 or 25 millimeters all the way up to, uh, to 70 or 80 or a hundred millimeters. I'm a big fan of shooting long and shooting wide and just right. getting the different viewpoints. Uh, I've also got uh, an interesting fisheye attachment that goes on one of my mirrorless cameras. And oh, nice. on rare occasion, I'll just say, that's it. I'm only taking the fisheye. Right. See what I can come back with. Um, but uh, in general, I'm not interested in the standard view, the way you or I see things with our eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that, uh, but I prefer to make it a little more interesting by seeing in a way that we don't ordinarily see. Yeah, that's great. 
All right, Dave. Well, I think it's the end of the hour. Thank you so much for your time and joining me today on Eyes for the Road. And I'll put up some show notes with the, Dave mentioned quite a bit of different cameras he enjoys using and some of the lenses. And I'll also put a link to his website, which is DaveWyman.com, correct? That's it. Dave and Wyman is W-Y-M-A-N.com. And it's Correct. Image. And there's, there's, there's links to my Facebook page and Instagram from there. Right. So people can follow along or check out his workshops. And he does have some openings, as he said, in his upcoming fall workshops. And I think the fall color this year, since we had so much rain, um, the leaves should be pretty healthy. So we should see some nice fall colors this year in the Sierras. It could be awesome this year. And, and the waterfalls. We may not lose the waterfalls in Yosemite this fall. It'd be interesting to go check that out as well, because I think they only opened Tioga Road around the 4th of July, if I recall. Mm, yeah. So yeah. I think there may still be some waterfalls left this fall. So thank you so much, Dave, for your time, and we'll chat again. All right, April. Good talking to you. Thanks so much. All right. Take care. Bye.